What's up, Live Different Podcast listeners? It has been too long. It is Matt. And as you might have imagined, I fell off the face of the earth. Yes, that's right. After five and a half years of podcasting, I had to take a little break. And for good reason, we'll give you a quick little personal update And then we can get on to the next show. Uh, I'm so excited to be recording this because I have a ton of content stacked up. But as you all know, most likely uh, I am the CEO of a travel company called Under 30 Experiences. And it is a tough time to be in the travel industry, as you can imagine. The show will go on, but we had to go into let, into crisis, lockdown mode, and damn, that uh, it was not easy. But we will overcome. Under 30 Experiences launching, is launching new USA trips. In fact, we already have two Portland, Maine, and Acadia National Park the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in Asheville, North Carolina, as well as San Francisco and Yosemite National Park. Three trips that our travelers will be able to drive to socially distance, where applicable, wear their masks, and uh, we're very excited about that because people still need to get out, still need to work while being extremely careful about COVID-19, taking all the necessary precautions. We have uh, disinfectant defoggers for our vans. Uh, People will be sleeping in single tents and we are taking uh, the most precaution that we possibly can while still giving people the community that they need during these difficult times. Of course, those will run this fall. Then we have winter trips coming out. I'm extremely excited about that. We're hoping that the situation gets even better with COVID. Things die down a little bit more, but this winter we are bringing people to San Francisco, to Lake Tahoe, to Winter Wonderland, as well as Las Vegas up to Zion and Bryce Canyon National Parks. And then finally, we are going Los Angeles to Joshua Tree National Park, with a night in Palm Springs. I want to go on all of these, but I have a reason why I can't. Well, I am a proud new dad. Yes, through this COVID whole situation, I got to spend some time in a hospital on a very happy note, the birth of my daughter. And so that is, that's the real reason why I had to take a break from podcasting. And uh, yeah, just could not be more grateful for this journey into fatherhood. Uh, Thank you all for for the support throughout the years. So many people listening to this have sent me messages. Um, Yeah, wherever, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you can find me in all those places. Matt Wilson TV is my handle on most of them. But oh man, it has been a wild ride as you can imagine and finally i will wrap this up in a moment but even more exciting no not more exciting than the birth of my daughter 
but very exciting nonetheless. The launch of my book, finally, the Millennial Travel Guidebook, Escape More, Spend Less, and Make Travel a Priority in Your Life. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Who in their right mind is going to launch a travel book right now? And I'm thinking the same damn thing. But you know what? As Seth Godin would say, you got to push. You just got to push out your work. You got to get it out there into the world. And if it's a damn good book, which I know it is, it will sell for years and years and years to come. And guess what? Right now, not a lot of competition going on in the travel space. So here I am hoping to, uh, you know, inspire some people while they're sitting at home and can't travel internationally at the moment. I just can't wait for this thing to get out. So you can download a free chapter at millennialtravelguidebook.com on how to find the best deals on flights. You can also purchase the book in its entirety for just 99 cents via Kindle. That is the pre-order price because I just want to get it out there. I know you will read it. I know you'll leave me a glowing five-star review on Amazon. We will be at the top of the charts with any kind of luck and support from our community. And uh, that's the plan. Launching August 13th. So can't wait for that. The Millennial Travel Guidebook. Thank you all so much. Really appreciate it. Would love if you pre-ordered. Whew. It's been a wild ride, but sit back, relax for another awesome episode. One thing that I did not mention through all this, I've been trying to be active as possible through uh, this whole mess with social injustice, Black Lives Matter, etc. You can find more updates on under30experiences.com slash blog, especially if you are a traveler and you are trying to uh, just learn about resources and think about what it's like to travel if you are an African-American and uh, what it's like for black people in the travel industry is another very interesting, very complex topic. And uh, we at Under 30 Experiences have been doing our best to show people support during this time, especially within our community, working on our own diversity plan and uh, trying to to just push forward the very best that we can and uh, fight for a more equal world, a completely equal world. So thank you guys very much for listening to this rather long intro, but I'm so appreciative uh, of all the support and get ready for a lot of awesome content in the next coming months, including on my blog, mattwilson.co, drop two really nice articles, how I paid off my student loans while traveling the world, as well as how millennials are escaping the nine to five, reducing their tax burden and fleeing cities. That's right. All my friends are leaving New York, San Francisco, LA, getting out of there. I can't tell you how many people have asked me how they can live off the grid. So more content on that coming up. Thank you all so much. Here we go.
Hello everyone and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today I am here with neuroscientist and senior lecturer at MIT Sloan. She is an executive coach as well as a medical doctor and the author of The Source, The Secrets of the Universe, The Science of the Brain. And I would like to welcome to the show, Tara Swart. Tara, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Matt. You're, you're very welcome. Before uh, we got to start recording, we were going over your extensive background, which you were very humble about. Uh, but you have a very interesting and well-rounded uh, background, it sounds like. I, I'm really thrilled that you're both a medical doctor, uh, but someone who lectures at MIT's business school as well. So I, I'd love to just... Uh, ask you how you got into this. I mean, these are two totally separate things. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious how this kind of, I, I hope the word juxtaposition is, uh, I'm using it properly, but uh, yeah, how you came to, to uh, meet two such, uh, two interesting uh, fields and merge them together. It's, it, it's really great what you're doing. Thank you so much. I mean, as we were discussing sort of, you know, how to introduce me, I was thinking I'm actually working a lot at the moment on letting go of um, identifying too much with with a job title or a sort of career as, you know, being the description of who I am. And as you were describing it then, I just thought I'm like one of those serial monogamists, you know, who's completely faithful to the career that they're having at the moment, but then moves on to the next one and the next one. And as I look back, there are definitely threads that connect all the different things that I've done and that I'm doing. Um, but the story is that I went to medical school um, straight after high school. I did a PhD in neuroscience in the middle of that and then returned to the clinical part of medical school. I worked as a psychiatrist for seven years. Um, and then I did a big career change into executive coaching and eventually that also included speaking. And that's when I was discovered, as it were, by MIT Sloan. So I was I was speaking at a conference um, and there were a lot of heads of business schools there. And it was just that perfect time when neuroscience was becoming a really hot topic for business and leadership. So it completely makes sense, but I, I also get how it sounds like, why is a medical doctor speaking at the business school at MIT? Um, but actually now, it's almost like you can't disentangle neuroscience from leading your life, leading a business, leading a team, leading a family. So it has applications everywhere, really. Well, that that's great. And, and of course, uh, when I heard about your book, uh, I uh, decided to reach out to you because I was just amazed by what you were uh, really diving into. And we can, of course, get into that in a minute. But I'm, I'm curious uh, what you uh, what you taught at uh, Sloan. Yeah, so I teach two two day courses, which are for executives. Um, they're open enrollment courses. And one is called Neuroscience for Leadership, which is actually the title of my previous book. And the sort of bridge that really makes sense between neuroscience and a business school. The newer course is called Applied Neuroscience. And that's much more about applying the findings from the latest research in, in brain science to your life, your work, your teams, your health. Um, so they're both really practical, as you know, as is the book. But 
another area where people say to me, but you teach at MIT Sloan, how could you have written a book about spirituality, I think is what we're going to get on to next. Sure, 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 sure. Go, go ahead. <laughs> you, you may have been asked this before. Um, it's, it's less of a question and more of a sort of how could you like, you know, rhetorical question. Um, and I have to say that MIT Sloan have been, you know, if not the most amongst the most supportive, um, you know, of my my new sort of direction of research. I think that having done some very different things throughout my life, I, I reflected more on the fact that I was brought up with an Indian cultural heritage. I was brought up in the UK. And so I learned from a very young age to keep that sort of spirituality aspect um, aside from my schoolwork and, and eventually, you know, what I was studying at university. And because I have done different things and I often get questioned in this way, I sort of started to think, well, why can't I write about spirituality and science? And when I really started to look into it seriously in terms of research for a book, there was just so much overlap and so much backing both ways that I became more fascinated by it actually through writing the book than even you know when I was uh, planning to write the book. And I also have to say that somebody like you reaching out to me is just one of the many stories of people that write to me daily on Instagram now of all the different types of podcasts that I've been on um, because the applications are so widespread and they're for everyone. It's everybody could change something small in their life and live their life better than they have been until now. And that's the appeal is so broad because some people will come at it from the spiritual aspect and some people will really need the science and everybody in between can be satisfied by, you know, different elements of, of my research and what's in the book. No, it, it's really fascinating. And when you hear about uh, books like the Secret, for example, uh, and, and of course you, you talk a little bit this, uh, about this in your book, you hear these things that you can't touch or feel and you don't really understand and a, a skeptic's first thing that they might say is, oh, that's a load of crap. Like, how can we just uh, manifest uh, these things to ourselves and you get all these new age words that people really raise an eyebrow about, especially, of, of course, what you're talking about as a as an MD and an executive coach. People must be like, oh, my oh, my God, what what is she talking about here? But the fact that you were able to go through, talk about how the, these things work scientifically it's just so interesting in the book you talk about the law of attraction you talk about age-old exercises like visualization and your vision boards and all these things that people can add in uh, to their lives to help create the futures that they want both uh, personally and professionally and uh, so I'd love to learn a little bit more how you got into this you said that uh, as a, a child you know in your book at least you say yoga and meditation were just part of the family your family's practice is that right could you could you talk a little bit more about how you were brought up yeah so um my parents had come over um in adulthood from india to the uk and then 
shortly after that I, I was the first child and then I also have a younger brother um, so we were definitely raised at home with the vegetarian food the Ayurvedic sort of practices yeah my parents were often you know doing headstands or Kriya breathing when I came home from school and we had the incense sticks and and everything. Um, but, you know, I went to a school in, in um, central London that was a very mainstream English school. So my parents brought their culture with them from India, I suppose, is the way of putting it. And, you know, I was brought up bilingual. So I was brought up with those things at home and just the sort of regular way of being, at, you know, at school and with my friends. Um, and so I wasn't forced to take on any of those practices but they were normal for me I was always vegetarian so you know I never even really thought about not being vegetarian um but some of the things that in the 1970s and 80s when I was growing up were definitely very far away from mainstream I didn't voluntarily take on in my teenage years or my early 20s and it was really only in my mid-30s when I suppose I had a bit of a midlife crisis that I actually very easily took on some of those practices to help me to find a way through. Um, but And it was really then when I, when I also realised that I'd learned from being a psychiatrist and about how the brain works was also helping me and that these things weren't against each other. They were kind of saying the same thing. So that's where I really felt that these ancient philosophies, some of them are Eastern, they're not all Eastern, but, you know, ancient philosophies um, are actually so backed up by the the modern science um and that's when and maybe because of my cultural heritage heritage i was more open to things like the laws of attraction um but actually things like the you know the book the master key system that was recommended to me was by you know a, a an english friend the idea of vision boards was a an english colleague so it, it wasn't like those things came from my cultural background but i took to them like a duck to water because they made sense to me from things, you know, that I'd just always been told as a child. Um, but when I thought, okay, I could write a book like about this, like Think and Grow Rich, The Secret, The Master Key System, but obviously you want to put your own twist on it and make it something that's new and different. And that's where I really had the privilege of bringing the science into it. Um, and interestingly, the people who have maybe been practicing these things anyway, just because they're they're open to doing it without having the proof. Um, all the people who I would consider more on the spiritual aspect than the scientific aspect, they're the ones that have said to me, you putting the science into this book validates all the things that I've been doing anyway. Um, but I couldn't prove it and maybe people would criticize me, but now I can show them the book. And so, you know, a lot of yoga teachers, for example, read the book and love the book and um, and speak to me about what they're doing, how they're using the book to help people who maybe are a bit skeptical um so it's just really exciting to to see the encouragement from both sides to meet the other way you know and just get more out of your life because you can always get more if you're willing to open up to many different perspectives but if you stay fixed in one perspective then i think there's a limit to how much of your potential you can really achieve Absolutely. I, I think that's uh, that's fascinating that you were able to bridge that gap. And uh, I'd love for us to get into some some actionable stuff uh, for people out there, you know, perhaps 
They've been to a, a yoga class, let's say. This might be an easy one, uh, easy place to start. And the teacher says something like, okay, well, why don't you set an intention for your class? And you, you go into this in, in the science of how this works, uh, but could you lay out for someone who perhaps never does you know might have heard that and be like okay yeah i'll set my intention to relax during class which is a mm-hmm. perfectly fine uh intention one that i set quite a lot when i go to a, a yoga class um but if people are there and they're like oh what's that really gonna do here this just sounds like some hippie stuff um could you talk to people about how that really can help them and uh, yeah, and, and as you do, you don't have to go too deep into the science, but really just let them know why this is this is legit stuff that you're able to prove. I think it's so interesting that we speak about setting an intention in a yoga class, but we don't do it for our whole life. So yes, we might you know have that ninety minutes where we think I need to you know I need to feel less stressed or I want to feel more energized, and you know you different people will say that how they felt at the end of the class may or may not match up to, you know, the intention that they set. But the point is that you take that tiny amount of time to think before you act. And the truth is, in life, we're all so busy. We're bombarded with so much information. We're switched on all the time. We we have priorities, but we easily get distracted. And so I think it really all falls under the umbrella of being mindful and not even in the hippie sense of the word, but just being thoughtful, just ever stepping back and thinking, what am I actually trying to do with my life? Um, The question that I ask in the book that I think is so powerful is, is your life panning out exactly how you always dreamed it would? I haven't met anybody yet that says exactly everything that I ever could have dreamed of has, you know, has come true for me in my life. And and, and I think there's a really good balance between knowing when you've got enough and not always just greedily wanting more, but also being honest with yourself when you haven't reached your potential, you haven't done enough, you haven't stepped back to really think about what you want. And unfortunately, what happens in that situation is that life happens to you. And what the neuroscience is saying is that you can take more agency over your life and it starts with small things like a very brief pause to think about how you want your day to go or how you want your relationship to be or how you want your career to progress. And then, of course, you know, much bigger, more philosophical questions about maybe the legacy that you want to leave or the kind of person that you want to be. And and that's why, as I said, you know, when we started speaking, that I have achieved what a lot of people would consider to be academic and career success. Um, But now... I've decided to really think about who I am without those academic credentials and without that career, because just like peeling back layers of an onion, I've done that and that's great. And I'm very grateful for the education that I had and and the fact that I've been able to help others through it. But then you think, you know, at the end of my life, when I'm lying on my deathbed, I'm not going to be really pleased that I got a PhD and an MD. There are going, you know, there are going to be other things that are more important, and I guess I'm also at that age where, you know, I've sort of passed the midlife where I'm starting to think, think about what's going to be really important to me for the rest of my life. That's, and that's great. Yeah, that's that's all we're asking people to do by by setting an intention is to say, 
is to help them keep on track to that end goal. That's that's really, really important, not just the day-to-day things that we get so distracted by doing. Sure, and, and anybody can set an intention at any time. But like you said, it doesn't have to be just the the 60 or 90 minutes before your yoga class. Uh, of course, you can do this when you wake up. You can uh, set an intention when you sit down at your computer to check your email, okay, and, and, and really help focus your brain on what you're trying to uh, accomplish. Uh, and, and then, of course, you know, but that's the more moment-to-moment intention. Uh, and then the bigger picture stuff, that's, yeah, just so powerful. And uh, I wanted to ask you, Tara, about just, you know, people still have trouble getting past some of this stuff because they almost look at it as magic, right? And people say, okay, like if you're going to pray, pray and ask God, right, which is a, a word that I even try to stay away from sometimes because it's just <laughs> so there's just so much there uh, and that people have so many different uh, opinions about and beliefs about. And uh, there's a lot of baggage around that word, I guess, if we could say. But um, really thinking, you know, really thinking about what you want your intention to be over the long term, I think is is so important. Um, but uh, my question really is, how do you discern between, okay, I'm just asking for something and I'm gonna ask a, a mil- for a million dollars, right? Say you wanna be a millionaire, I wanna ask for a million dollars and I'm gonna ask God and this is just somehow magically going to uh, ma- manifest, right? Uh, but then there is a certain way that you can set action around these things. So how do you help people discern and and coach them through? Like you could just set intentions all day and pray for stuff, but is that really what's bringing these things into your life? Or is it more that course of action? Because on the other side, you can see people going for it, going for it, hustling every day, da, 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 and they, they're not getting anywhere. They're just spinning their wheels. Um, so how do you help people guide? Perhaps there's a balance. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking of it as a spectrum, as you were speaking, that on the spectrum of I ask God or the universe, you know, another word that also has some connotations that people like or don't like, and on the other end of the spectrum, which is more where I would come from with my background, would be I am going to prime my brain to notice and grasp opportunities that might otherwise have passed me by. If you take those as the sort of two extremes, there's a there's a lot in between those two that you can play with. You can be somewhere along that spectrum. Um, I do believe in in leaving some room for magic. I, I have also worked very hard on not trying to control everything and being one of those people that's like always hustling. But um, because I've learned a lot about patience as I've become older as well. But so I would say that this actually comes down to the difference between what you referred to already, which is in a lot of those other books, um, vision boards, and what I've described in the book, which is an action board. So they're actually almost exactly the same thing. The board is the same. It's a collage made by hand that with metaphorical or literal representations of the things that you really want in life. Now, as I write the chapter on actually making it, I have said this, you know, there has to be 
it has to be within certain realistic outcome limits it can't just be a complete fantasy although I do ask people to dream big and so you know you make this board interestingly with the images often you have some idea of what you want I do say that if the if you find an image that's relevant to that and it doesn't feel right for some reason you can't you mustn't use it if you're leafing through magazines and an image really speaks to you, or even a quotation. I prefer not to use words because that's more to, appeals to the logical part of the brain than the subconscious. But if something really resonates with you and you can't really explain why logically, you should probably include that on your board. So once you've got that feeling right, and that really means that you're aligned, sort of, you know, what people call head, heart, and gut, what I call physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, or based on your integrity or values, then you've got something that you can look at every day. And we know about the, you know, in the brain, there's a process of visually priming your subconscious to notice things more because you've brought them to the front of your mind because the brain has a natural filtering system. So if you haven't set an intention and you're just going about a busy day, then you'll notice the things that you really need to get done that day, the things that are obvious logical priorities. If you've primed your brain through a vision board and visualization, then you're more likely to notice that what we call the warmer or more emotional um, elements that your brain can pick up on. Um, because your brain tags in order of importance the things that you've selected to pay attention to, both logically and emotionally. But usually logic takes over if you're not allowing that you know, other part of your brain to really sort of um, be at the surface. So we have the vision board. We look at it daily and visualize everything on it coming true but then the third part that I think really sets sets this apart from what's been said before is that you cannot sit on your couch at home and just wait for these things to magically turn up you know and appear to be true you must be doing something every day to move yourself towards that goal and it can be it can be a very small thing like setting an intention or it can be something more tangible in the real world um, or it can be something that bigger risk like getting a job and you know starting up a freelance business or moving to a different industry you know if obviously people have financial restrictions around being able to do that but one way of moving from saying oh I really always wanted to be an artist is to actually quit your job and start painting you know so um, sure. it's definitely about about taking action as well as visualizing the things that you want okay and I'm uh, just thinking about who might be listening here, and I'm, I'm quite sure that there's a lot of type A personalities who would be listening to a podcast on personal development, and mm -hmm. uh, perhaps like me, they got started in yoga because they wanted to, they saw it as a... a uh, a personal development tool and uh, they wanted to maybe get more fit or uh, be able to relax their mind and you know you really have this one kind of extreme uh, not you but when you think about uh, checking things off your to-do list and uh, we talked about hustling and all these things in the entrepreneur space that are just so popular these days um, there is, you know, something to be said about stepping back and letting things flow. And you, 
you can get too deeply invested in just checking that to-do list off. And so I'd love to know more about uh, how you value reflection and constantly reevaluating what you're doing instead of just, you know, you just see people, see people burning themselves out too much uh, or, or too hard. And I did that for many, many years and, and still I, I can do it to this day. So I'd love to know your uh, opinion on uh, just kind of reflecting and, and being more in a flow state instead of forcing things, I think it would be the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And there's a really good neurological analogy for that, too. So I think I should start by saying that all the people I coach are those type A executives. And in fact, with names and details changed, all the case studies in my book are from my executive coaching experience, not from uh, friends or, or, you know, patients that I had before when I was a psychiatrist. So, um, you know, bear in mind when you read the book that these people are self-selecting to be coached by someone like me who doesn't work at that superficial level. You know, it has to be much deeper and, and authentic because if you if you tick off, I, I do yoga twice a week, but you're not really doing yoga, which is about the communication between the brain and the body, then you're not doing it and you're not going to get, you know, the outcome that you desire. So, um, and also, you know, these are also people like us and like so many people who are at massive risk of burnout from excessive travel, um, stress, um, lots of sort of, you know, socializing and long hours and, and things like that. So I mentioned earlier this alignment between physical, mental, emotional and spiritual. And what we've seen since the global financial crisis is that if the mental and emotional aspects are suppressed, as they often are, then it comes out as a physical symptom. And you know, and I'll give you extreme cases. I've worked with people where their colleagues have dropped dead on trading floors. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, yeah. So this is, and this is not because the people had high blood pressure or high cholesterol or were obese or didn't do exercise. It was because they were under immense amounts of stress, which they weren't dealing with. And so I really think that that happened so much that people started to realize that they, they need to do something different and that you can't really fake something like meditation um so what, what it all comes down to is the section under the laws of attraction where i wrote about patience now patience sounds you know like a very normal word but what what actually underlies that is that when you're trying to do something new or different or establish a new behavior or habit there's a time period where individual neurons are connecting up with each other to form a new pathway in your brain. And the old habit is a thick pathway that's been used many times and built up over time. So it takes the amount of time for the new desired behavior to correlate with a pathway that is thicker than the old behavior. So that becomes the default because it's more energy efficient in the brain. And so I call that the neural tipping point. So a lot of psychological and correlating to that neurological work is going on behind the scenes before you have that light bulb moment or that moment where actually really getting deep into yoga with a strong intention is what you do three times a week. You know, it was an effort when you started. You didn't really get the intention thing. You didn't always go three times a week. A year later, you're somebody that goes without fail. 
who who sets an intention that's relevant to that day, to how you're feeling, to what you need to be able to achieve. And that's natural. And, and that's the beauty of neuroplasticity, that it's not about asking people to force themselves to do something that's not them. It's about becoming the new you. And that can only be achieved through hard work and effort. That that can't be done by ticking a box, by superficially doing the activity. Wow, that's uh, that's really well said. And uh, yeah, thank you for for sharing, Tara. And uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to share a very personal story uh, about the, the whole vision board and intentions and, and this idea of neuroplasticity. Uh, I, I mentioned to you that my wife is eight months pregnant and uh, four. So uh, my wife is a uh, yoga teacher and we, yeah, we lived in Costa Rica for a very long time. Uh, we were running yoga retreats down there. And uh, so during her retreat, she would always bring a bunch of magazines and have uh, the participants lay out their, their vision boards. And so on her vision board, she you know, put the things that she had envisioned for, for her life for that year. And um, she, you just there was travel and there was uh, stuff about business and uh, family and adventure and, and all these things. And she, well, sure enough, she and, and health, all, all the things that were uh, important to her at that time when she was creating this vision board. And she put on her vision board a uh, a picture of a baby, of course, right? <laughs> I love it. And, you know, she showed it to me. And uh, this was, was, of course, something that we had talked about and considered, but we didn't know how far. And there was, uh, of course, something that was holding us back there in, in this moment. Uh, and she was told for many, many years that, well, she simply couldn't get pregnant and she had uh yeah like pcos um polycystic ovary i think syndrome is what the s stands for and you know that will just wasn't possible with taking without taking a lot of hormones and uh all this stuff so we thought okay well yeah maybe in the future we'll cross that bridge when we come to it uh, we so we ended up we were actually working with a uh a natural uh, natural-minded uh, hormone expert, uh, just talking about some um, just uh, health issues in, in general. Not to go into to too many details, <laughs> yeah. uh, but people can go and look up Dr. Lindsay Berkson, who's been uh, on the podcast, and she also has a background in in a lot of Eastern stuff. Lived in India for a while, but she's a hormone scholar uh, here in the states. And they asked us to lay out our goals for working with her. And, you know, so we, we laid out the goals. And then the very last one on the list was fertility. Because coming up with your entire health plan, you know, would then we thought, well, yeah, then perhaps we'd be fertile uh, at that point. But we just put it down as like just something that was important to us but yeah in the future in the future well we must have looked at that 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 vision board and that baby for a whole year and we still we didn't think too much about it but we always looked at it and we all like kind of laughed about it or it would we put we had put it out there and sure enough same thing with with dr berkson we put it out there and turns out 
you know, Dr. Burson had put us on a, a whole different um, suite of supplements and special diet and, and all this stuff. And well, sure enough, everyone knows where the story is going because I gave it away in the, in the <laughs> yeah. first place. It happened faster than we could have ever, ever imagined. And there's a certain, uh, of course, that's my proud soon-to-be dad story, but there is a certain brain body connection as you said because it was told by doctors to my wife that she couldn't get pregnant and so if you say things like well i can't get pregnant uh let's not worry about it and um just kind of write that off that becomes ingrained in your head and those pathways is like that becomes your belief system and well that was kind of our belief system until we threw it out there. So do you think you could uh, talk to everyone a little bit about perhaps using this example on how we we're able to get past these limiting beliefs, but it actually affected our body as well. And of course, we were supplementing and, and doing these things, but I think there was more to it. And, and I'd love to know your, your opinion. Yeah, I mean, thank you for sharing that wonderful story. No, you're um, very welcome. Thank you for listening. Um, and, you know, I've had some other success stories like that. Um, it started with amongst my friends, you know, with vision boards and affirmations and, um, you know, healthy behaviors and, and things. So, you know, for example, something like acupuncture is now proven to improve fertility by 15% in both natural and IVF couples. Um, and, you know, a few years ago, that would have been seen as a, as, you know, just as an alternative sort of um, Eastern philosophical thing and not a medical thing. So I think a lot of that stuff's changing. I mean, it, it's just bringing so, there's so much to say about this that I almost don't know where to start. But because, um, well, I'll start sort of backwards because you're making me think of so many women that I know and who have written to me since the book came out who say that getting pregnant by a certain age is a real priority for them but they don't take their supplements and they maybe they drink a bit too much alcohol, maybe they smoke sometimes, maybe they choose the wrong guys. And so that's where we need to start, which is the old, old embedded patterns of thinking that are so deep that we're not even aware of them. And I call these ghosts from our past. So they're usually from, you know, sort of the family situation that we were brought up in, the people who influenced us as children. And you could go even further back, and I'm sure you're fascinated by this now, as your wife's eight months pregnant, to you know the conditions when the child is in the womb and the health conditions of the parents, even at the time of conception or before, and any sort of psychological tra trauma that may be you know, inherited through the genes. Um, but if we just stick to, you know, keep it simple and tangible to childhood experiences, then Everything about the role you played as a child, the values that were held in your family, the you know whether you had very loose or very strict boundaries, um, what secrets there were, if any, in the family, all of these sorts of things, they actually physically form our neural architecture as we grow from being toddlers to teenagers to you know to young adults. And the brain is actively molding and shaping itself in response to everything we experience, everyone we meet, every emotion, every memory, till we're about 25. So that's a lot later than we, we used to think until we had the really sophisticated scanning machinery. So we have these filters and perspectives that have been created 
And the longer that those beliefs have been there, the more they're part of our neural architecture. And they're actually, you know, if when we talk about embodied cognition in yoga, that this these beliefs are they're in the neurons in your body, not just in your brain, because they're so deep. And and that's where a lot of these brain body, you know, whether you overcome something like infertility or whether you have a real blocker around your health, that's where that, that comes from. Um so it's a tricky one because again I would say it's on a spectrum because there will be something you know like if a doctor gives you a terminal cancer diagnosis it's much better for you to take the chemotherapy and whatever you know traditional medication you can that could possibly save your life as well as do holistic things but that's not the time or place to say I'll do something alternative but where something is a little bit more in your control and you know some people say my fertility is not within my control but they're not doing everything that they could be doing whether that's the mental work or the supplements and the low stress lifestyle and you know the yoga and and, and other practices and so there's a lot of scientific evidence through epigenetic research which is the effect of the environment on your genes that shows that the way you think can and does switch on and off certain genes that change things like fertility, obesity, longevity, um, sexual orientation, um, promiscuity, tendency to diabetes. I mean, it's it's huge, but it's a very new field, so we don't really know enough about it. But knowing that that field is there, the field of epigenetics, which is what goes on around you affects your body, the way that you think affects your body. Knowing about fields like psychoneuroendocrinology, that your mental state affects the hormones and nerves in your body and the state of you know, agitation or hormonal imbalance in your body also affects your mental state. Why not try to think in an abundant way? Why not do mindful thinking? Why not set a vision that may feel like it can't come true right now, but puts a really positive narrative in your head for the few years before you suddenly find yourself pregnant. I mean, there are so many stories of people who were told that they couldn't get pregnant, getting pregnant, that it's not going to harm you to think positively. I mean, obviously, there are also these stories of people who do so many rounds of IVF and they don't get pregnant. But even as you were describing your wife's vision board, I was thinking of the ways that I've seen that baby come true, but not in the traditional sense, not necessarily by the biological parents getting pregnant, you know, through maybe through adoption or through becoming a godparent or, um, you know, for me, uh, uh, you know, my personal story is that I, I actually didn't choose to have children, but, um, and didn't want to meet somebody when I got married later in life that had children, but I did, they were adults. So I thought that won't be too much trouble. My stepson is my favorite person in the whole world. We're so close and you know, I always say you're the best thing that I didn't manifest because he was <laughs> the baby was not on my vision board. But and that's why I do believe in leaving a bit of room for magic because you just you never know what could happen. You know, I was somebody who was married when I was in my twenties and thirties and purposely didn't have children, um, who said that I never wanted to have children, and now I've got somebody who you know I just love so much and you know I get so much joy from him. So you just never know. That's amazing. Yeah, I think that's that's really cool about uh, about your stepson. Th yeah, thank you for for sharing. Uh, you said something fascinating in uh, 
your book, and you said that you grew up with a lot of pressure uh, in your in your childhood because it was uh, how did you put it? It was pr- well, pretty much pretty much believed uh, casually around the house that you were the reincarnation of your it was a grandmother or grandfather paternal grandmother paternal grandmother and uh, I'd love to yeah I'd love to ask about your belief system your belief system or your family's belief system one is that could have put a lot of pressure on you uh, and it, it sounds like it did but also just the belief in reincarnation reincarnation in itself is is very interesting and if you have any neuroscience uh, on that one it would be it would certainly be fun to talk about <laughs> um, so interestingly that is what you could call one of the ghosts or neural pathways that's been in my brain and body for so long that I almost know nothing else so you know it's reincarnation in Hindu families is a fact like you've got long brown hair okay so you know that's just what you're told is that's how it is um and you know if you're told that from the day that you can remember thinking anything then I I would have to say that even though I'm a neuroscientist and a medical doctor and a senior lecturer at MIT Sloan I do believe in reincarnation that's great yeah and it's actually partly because it's so comforting because I see a lot of my other friends who have you know different cultures say I really need to know that there's something more, that the end of my physical life isn't the end. And, you know, so for many people that will be believing in heaven. Um, For me, I feel like it's alleviated so much stress in my life to just believe in reincarnation because I don't think the end of my physical life is the end. I I mean, and I can't explain it with science, but, um, you know, I, I just feel lucky that that's such a longstanding belief for me that and, you know, there are some beliefs that I was brought up with that I haven't chosen to, to take on or keep. But that's one that I, I like. So I'm keeping that one. That's great. And in your belief system or uh, in Hinduism, is that normal that someone becomes reincarnated into your same family? Um, I don't think it necessarily has to be the case at all. So I know people who've done past life regressions and I've never done that. And I, I just it's too unscientific for me. So I have some limits to where I'm prepared to go at the moment. Um, But if you think about the the use of the phrase soulmate, which isn't limited to Hindu philosophies at all, it's very, very prevalent in Western um, cultures. Um, The Hindu belief would be that that's a soul that you've met in previous lives that you keep meeting throughout successive lives. They don't have to be family members, but you know, how it's described in popular culture is that when you meet somebody and you feel like you've known them your whole life, it could be because they're a soul that you've known in a previous life. Um, So so that actually makes sense to me with, with you know, the background of the cultural heritage that I have, a soulmate, because I don't know how you would describe a soulmate otherwise. You know, what what is a soulmate if you don't believe in reincarnation? Sure, yeah, you could maybe think of it as a... Very, on a more superficial, leave out the reincarnation part and say, oh, this is who my soul is most attracted to, I guess. Uh, but yeah, no, it makes, makes sense to believe in it in the way that you're describing to me. Yeah, so, um, you know, like I said, we're all allowed a little bit of room for magic and for personal beliefs. But what I'm trying to say with the cognitive science is why not believe 
how amazing your brain is. Why not believe how much more you can get out of your life by understanding how your brain works? Um, you know, doing something like an action board is not going to bring you harm. So even if there's a little bit of a leap, you know, I call it faith in science rather than blind faith. Um, and as you know, I've outlined in the book the exact neurological processes that underlie why a vision board might work. Um, but but also, as I've qualified, you do have to do things to, to, you know, to make it work, not just expect it all to sort of happen with no effort. Sure. Uh, that's yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I'm glad that you even said it's not going to hurt you. <laughs> right. It's it's and in fact, it's only going to help you by thinking by having a a mindset that's going to put yourself at ease and uh end of life what's the word i'm looking for fear i guess uh, a lot of people have you know uh, terminal diagnoses and think oh my god this is it this is the end and there's a lot of um uh, hospice work palliative care that helps people transition into whatever this next phase is. And uh, I'd love to ask you, Tara, if you've ever uh, gone anywhere through meditation or psychedelics or otherwise that made you feel that, oh yeah, this really isn't the end. The way, the way that I've accessed that um, personally is through flotation tank. Okay. So I haven't tried psychedelics um, and I do meditate, but I've never had the impact through meditation alone that I've had through the flotation tank, partly because um, the flotation tank session is usually a, an hour. And although I have sometimes meditated for an hour, that's not frequent for me. It's usually shorter if, I, if I'm just meditating alone. So in the flotation tank, I think because of the additional elements of you can't hear anything, see anything, feel anything, um, you know, you, you do start to get that, and I've talked about universal connection in the book, you do start to get that feeling of even the end of your body isn't the end of you, you know, sort of, so it's a kind of mind-expanding experience um, with the bodily sensations essentially removed. Um, and the most immediate effect that I get from flotation tank is not even that the night of the day that I've done it, but usually the next night as I'm falling asleep, a lot of insights that I've been working on, personal development insights, seem to fall into place. Um, I, th the thing is, I've done so much research into ancient Eastern philosophies and you know Jungian psych psychology and other types of psychotherapy that I, I can't really separate them and say that it's one thing that's made me think that, but when I put all of those things together, I, you know, I, there's definitely a felt sense that there's a lot more than just our conscious, our individual consciousness, our individual bodies, our individual life. Um, there's a, a an amazing phrase that I, I I couldn't understand for years, maybe even decades, which is, "You're a drop in the ocean, and the ocean in a drop." I get the you're a drop in the ocean because we're all part of something much bigger, even if you just think about the planet and the you know massive population. But I started to realize much more how we're all we have these shared experiences with other people, whether it's across generations, whether it's with people who are so different to us that we can't possibly think we have anything in common with. And these things are inexplicable at the moment. But if you just do the research, 
and that's you know into spirituality into cognitive science um you get that sense and what i think is so interesting that so many physicists and empirical scientists have become very spiritual at the end of their lives and so i think it's it's a journey you know it's it's not something even at our age that i think unless you say otherwise that we've kind of got the answer for but we're on that evolution that i think that's the direction that it's taking people in if you decide to step out of your comfort zone into you know what more is there out there or afterlife or outside of my realm of consciousness um yeah and i'm you know i love what you do because you know i i feel that you're on that journey and i'm on that journey and there are, there are so many people that aren't and there are so many people that are and i i actually think that um cognitive science research is going to do a lot to move us in that direction i'm i'm happy to i'm happy to hear it's it is a fascinating uh well first of all a fascinating time to be alive but also just a a fascinating frontier and uh that's that's really great i would highly recommend the float tanks uh to anybody to who want to just go in and and yeah, it's just an amazing experience. Hard to put into to words, but yeah, there's, yeah. Uh, of course, lots of science behind what uh, your is happening in your in your brain and your body. And while you were talking about this not being our our bodies not really being our bodies, um, well, that's not exactly what you said, but the end of yeah. our bodies, yeah, I, yeah. I guess. Um, you know, I, I do some of Sam Harris's, I took his 50-day meditation course uh, the waking on the Waking Up app. And, uh, you know, he's a neuroscience and scientist and, uh, a, well, a hardcore atheist at, at that. But he talks of, I mean, he's training the mind to... Uh, to be able to see this feel, this visual field, you could eyes open or, or eyes closed, that your experience of consciousness is not necessarily right where your fingertips end. Or yeah. uh, the Heart Math Institute would be another one who has all this research about how you have this aura, if you will, around your heart and that other people come in contact with that or, or Dr. Joe Dispenza would be another one who I would think mm -hmm. about. He, you know, I'm sure you're familiar and with Bruce, um, Bruce Lipton as well. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, the biology of belief. Yeah. And even if you think about things like, um, the male and female sexual hormones. So we know for instance, that men are more attracted to women where in, when they're in the fertile stage of their cycle. We know that women are more attracted to um, uh, bad boys where, when they're in the fertile stage, but more attracted to nice men who are husband material at the other stages of their cycle. And there's the theory of female menstrual synchronization, which is based on a very old evolutionary reason. Um, so even if it's just the fact that, you know, the, the um, steroid hormones like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, that they're they're leaking out of our body through our sweat. So that's an aura as well, in a way sure. that we don't really, you know, we don't acknowledge. So that already shows a, a very biological evidence to that our skin not being the border of our body. Wow. Okay. So, so you said two really interesting things there. One is uh, I've heard that, you know, a, a bunch of 
women in a sorority house will have this biological synchronization. But what it, I'm just going to speculate and say evolutionarily, if there was a bunch of women and only one man, it would be helpful for the, to keep the species alive if, they, uh, if that one man met all these women when they were all fertile. Is that the, is yeah. that the reason? Yeah, well, if you think, absolutely. So you, you've guessed that very accurately. Okay. So when, we lived, when we lived in the cave, um, the, al- the alpha male's genes surviving was the priority for the tribe. But the men often hunted or lived nomadically, and that meant that they could be away for a long time or travel so far whilst hunting that they actually would then just join a new cave and never come back. Um, and so it was essential for the alpha male to impregnate four or five women before he left the cave. Because obviously in those days, you know, some of the pregnancies wouldn't survive anyway. If they did, a baby could die of hypothermia or got eaten by a, you know, a wolf or something. So to make sure that one baby survived with the alpha male's genes, four or five of these sorority sisters (laughs) needed to get impregnated at the same time. And the thing is, we don't need that anymore, but we're still that animal, if you know what I mean. I do. Yeah. Um, There's another thing I wanted to say to you, which is a little bit of a tangent, but it goes back to something we were saying earlier, which is that um, our construct of time. So in the Western world or the modern world, if you like, we have um, agreed that time is is linear, that there's a past, a present and a future. In some Native American Indian um, beliefs, Time isn't linear like that. It's either it's more spiral. I'm not exactly sure how it works. But so one of the things I find fascinating is that they say that coincidence or serendipity only seems unusual if you view time as a linear construct, but it doesn't seem unusual if you view time as a spiral. So interesting. I, yeah, exactly. And it's not completely connected to like our minds being outside our bodies, but it's their realms of, of thinking that I think we'll be able to prove sometime in the future. We can't prove them yet, but they'll explain a lot of things that we, some of us believe in at the moment, but we can't explain. Wow. I've actually never heard the theory of time being in a spiral. I've never heard it described like that. Do, do, you, do you know more? <laughs> um, well, I was just actually having this conversation with a guy who had been to university in I think Colorado, so like whichever the the native Indian um, people that come from that sort of area um, and the the university that he was in where they they did some like, you know, Aboriginal learning, they learned about how time is viewed. And I don't actually know if it's a spiral or more just sort of, you know, a a circular path or a sort of uh, meandering path. But the fact that it's not a straight line means that when two things happen to you and you think, oh my God, that's so strange. I thought of that person the other day and then suddenly like here they turn up. If if your construct of time is wrong, then that's not a coincidence because it's the same thing happening in a different time. You know, like... Sure. Um, yeah, so... And, and actually, there's absolutely no reason why we should believe that time is linear. Um, and I think that that's one area and then the whole like consciousness universal consciousness thing and the whole reincarnation soulmate thing are all things that are on the fringe of of science that i mean if you think about it when we were kids what we watched as science fiction is mostly now true you know when uh you said the drop in the ocean 
and that we are there's an ocean in the drop uh i thought of the men in black movie where they talk where the cat has a little globe uh necklace and it's a whole nother universe in that globe. I don't know if you've seen if you've seen it, and probably not in twenty years. But uh, yeah, that's where I and it, that's where I remember these this from. And it's just so fascinating being human. There's so many unexplained things, and if you're living an examined life and taking time to really wonder and <clears throat> look around, there's so many things that you can't explain and. Uh, there's so many ways to be able to get this knowledge or, or your belief system. I was even thinking about how did I know that uh, women have this biological or the first time I, I had heard this about this biological synchronization. <laughs> My middle school girlfriend had a uh, sister who was in college and she told me about this phenomena, how they would all get their periods in the same week. That's why I use the sorority example uh, yeah. so yeah, yeah it's yeah, just yeah. it's fascinating how uh humans try to piece together this this big crazy uh you know phenomena of of being on this planet yeah i mean i love this kind of conversation but um i, I just feel like we might be leaving this podcast on a really like very open-ended point so i just Certainly. want to say that you know, <laughs> i think i think the place to start is with yourself isn't it and that's that's, you know, there are all these interesting things that we can look into, but we don't even know enough about our own brains and our own bodies and our own capability. And and that's really why I wrote the book. And that's, you know, I'd love for people to understand how much potential they have in their brains and to do one or two small things differently and just see what effect that has on their life. Tara, I'm glad you brought us back to Earth here. It was, uh, we're having a very, very fun, I mean, the, the whole conversation has been fascinating, but your book has so much hard science behind it and uh, so many actionable things that people can do from visualization and, uh, yeah, would you would you like to, to leave anybody with maybe one more tip? If you would say, what's, okay, someone has 10 minutes to do a practice that's going to improve their life, what would you recommend would be the first thing that they go out and actually do? Um, so I could say a few general things like journaling and gratitude lists, but I want to leave your listeners with a specific exercise, which is where you draw a quadrant onto two pieces of paper and you label both quadrants, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And for one minute, you time yourself using your phone, remembering a time that you felt really stressed, really fixed, things weren't going right, you weren't getting what you needed out of life, and you immerse yourself in that memory for one minute, and then when the buzzer goes off, you just write notes in the first on the first piece of paper of how that felt in your body, how, how that affected your thinking, your feelings, and your spirit. Then you take a few deep breaths, you set the timer again for a minute, and you think you recall a time where you were in flow. Everything was going how you wanted it to. You have good people around you, you're really at your best, and you immerse yourself in that memory for one minute. And then when the buzzer goes, you write notes on the second piece of paper of how that felt in your body, 
in your thinking, in your feelings, and in your spirit. And then it's, there's no right or wrong answer. Some people say, you know, it's very similar. Some people say it's different. Some people say there's one quadrant where it's totally different. Um, and so you just, you look at those two sets of notes that you have and you basically look at it and think about it till you get an insight. So for me, the biggest insight was that physically, when I'm in that stress mode, I tend to look down, avoid eye contact, not smile, shoulders are a bit slumped. When things are going really well, I look at everyone, I smile at everyone, you know, my posture's much better. And so I realized that if I'm feeling negative, I can at least tip my shoulders back, I can at least look up, I can smile even though I don't feel like it. And that has a really good effect on my thinking, my feeling, and you know, eventually on my spirit. But it's very, very different for different people. So I think if you've only got 10 minutes, that's that's a good place to start. But as you know, there are so many other longer exercises in the book. Um, and you know, if you have a weekend, then um, I think the action board is the is the main thing to really get stuck into doing. Great, great. Well, uh, Tara, this has been a amazing conversation for a Wednesday. It's Wednesday morning for me, Wednesday afternoon for, for you there in London. Uh, again, your book is called The Source, The Secrets of the Universe, The Science of the Brain. Uh, where can people reach out to you directly? I know you interact uh, really well with people on Instagram who'd like to, to reach out. Yeah, so Instagram is, is the best place, and I'm Dr. Tara Swart, so D-R Tara Swart on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter, Tara Swart, and um, I have a website, taraswart.com, but Instagram is, is the best place. Well, Tara, thank you so much. This, is, uh, this has been a lot of fun. I hope people really can draw some, uh, some great things away from this one. We really did discuss the secrets of the universe. We absolutely did. <laughs> very good. Very well. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much. I can't wait to, to hear it. Live Different Podcast listeners, did you enjoy that fantastic episode with Tara Swart? If so, you will find all sorts of great new content on my blog, mattwilson.co. I would be just thrilled if you went, checked it out. You can go to the Start Here page, which links to some of my best posts, my best work. And if you would like to support the show, I would be extremely appreciative if you pre-ordered my new book, The Millennial Travel Guidebook, Escape More, Spend Less, and make travel a priority in your life. It is 99 cents right now on Kindle, or you can get the $14.99 version on paperback. Soon we will have hardcover and audible, but we are launching 813 and we need as many reviews, as much buzz as we possibly can to take Amazon by storm. And I would love your help. Thank you guys so much. If you have any questions, you can always message me on Instagram or Twitter at Matt Wilson TV.